Hello and welcome to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, your audio source for news in Hoosier Law, brought to you by Taft. I'm Jordan Morey, Managing Editor of the Indiana Lawyer and your host. And I'm Olivia Covington, co-host and editor of the Indiana Lawyer. Wherever you're listening from today, whether it's in the Circle City or in John Mellencamp's small town, thanks for joining us. Since this is the first episode, here's a little breakdown of the show. Since our newspaper publishes bi-weekly, the first half of the episode will serve as a recap of what you may have missed since the last issue. During this segment, we'll touch on several headlines that can be found on theindianalawyer.com and we'll be joined by some special guests to provide greater insight to those stories. Following the headlines, we'll be joined by a leader in the Indiana legal community each episode. Typically, we'll have one or two guests, but for our first episode, we've made an exception. On today's episode, we have the three newest judges on the Indiana Court of Appeals, Judges Derek Moulter, Elizabeth Tavides, and Leanna Weissman. We have a great episode for you today, so let's dive right in. Today is November 3rd, 2021, and these are your headlines. Our first headline comes to us from the Indiana Supreme Court. On October 22nd, the court announced a new eviction diversion program for landlords and tenants. The idea is that when an eviction petition is filed for unpaid rent, courts will tell landlords and tenants about the diversion program. Then, the parties will have the option of pursuing emergency rental funds or participating in a settlement conference. If they agree to one of those options, the eviction case will be put on hold for 90 days. And if the diversion is successful, the case can be dismissed. The new diversion program comes after a task force released a report recommending that courts give out more information about rental assistance and other resources. Indiana Court of Appeals Judge Robert Altice leads the task force. Here's what he had to say about the diversion program. Our hope is that landlords realize what a good deal this is for them. Anyone who's been in the legal system knows that if, if you get someone evicted, they haven't paid their back rent, then you can get a judgment. Collecting on that judgment sometimes can prove difficult. And so that is kind of what we are preaching to the landlords is you can get your money a lot quicker now than you can going through, you know, a couple years of trying to collect on a judgment that may not be collectible. So it's uh, that's that's what we're trying to sell to the landlords. And obviously for the tenants, if they get those funds, they can remain in their place. And so it benefits both sides. Judge Altice also offered advice specifically to renters who are struggling to make their payments. The one thing that I would say is just encourage those out there that are having difficulties paying their rent as a result of the pandemic. Please, please, please put an application in. The diversion program took effect November 1st. Meanwhile, the eviction task force is working on a final report that is due by January 17th. Now, for some news from the legislature. About a week ago, the Interim Study Committee on Courts and Criminal Code held its last meeting of the fall and heard hours of testimony about the costs of juvenile cases. Several stakeholders testified about how the costs and fees of a juvenile case had impacted their families for years after their cases had been resolved. One woman said her parents are still carrying a $10,000 debt nearly 20 years after her brother's first encounter with law enforcement. Over the past few weeks, the study committee has also heard testimony on the issues of assignment of counsel at initial hearings in criminal cases, human trafficking, juvenile life without parole, and other juvenile matters. Monday, we asked Representative Wendy McNamara, a Republican from Evansville who is chair of the study committee, what some of her biggest takeaways were from this year's studies and what the legislature needs to focus on during the next session. I think it all comes down to efficiencies. And when we're spending millions and millions of dollars on juvenile justice and justice in general, we want to use those 
dollars efficiently. And what has come to light in a lot of areas are we aren't necessarily using the money that the state gives our local communities in the most efficient manner. And um, that has been probably the most glaring thing that I've uh, found uh, through this research and other research is the just the accountability of the dollars that we use every day in our criminal justice system. As a state, in my opinion, I think it would be um, better if we spent more on public safety. Uh, you often find if you look at our budget, the majority goes to education. Over 63% goes to K through college. Um, very small percentage goes for public safety, and that includes criminal justice, that includes Department of Corrections, that includes all of that. And oftentimes, I think, like I said at the beginning, it's the last one we think of, but it's probably the most important one at um, making sure our community is safe and making sure that uh, we put people in jail or in prison that we're afraid of, and we give help to those that, you know, can be rehabilitated. Unfortunately, we have some sad news to share from Lake County. Judge Diane Boswell passed away on October 19th at 72 years old. Judge Boswell had served on the Lake Superior Court since 2005. Tributes for Boswell began pouring in soon after her death. Fellow Superior Court Judge Crystal Briscoe says Boswell was an inspiration to her, in part because Boswell was the first black lawyer Briscoe ever met. Briscoe recalled how Boswell encouraged her to complete her undergrad and law school studies, then celebrated with her when Briscoe became a magistrate in 2018. Briscoe says, quote, To have a woman of her stature and success be so humble and engaging with everyone she met, that is what all judges aspire to be, end quote. Boswell was laid to rest in Gary on October 30th. Back at the Supreme Court, the justices have agreed to hear a case that could change the scope of the Indiana Medical Malpractice Act. In the Johnson County case, the Indiana Court of Appeals upheld a trial court ruling that said indemnity claims brought by one health care provider against another are subject to the Medical Malpractice Act. The Court of Appeals ruling found that the language of the MMA is not limited to claims only brought by a patient or the representative. That meant that an indemnification claim filed in the case by a hospital against an independent radiology group was considered a claim for medical malpractice. Oral arguments in the case, like Imaging versus Franciscan Alliance, are scheduled for 10 a.m. on December 9th. Now for some updates from the Indiana Lawyer Newsroom. Next week, we'll be hosting our annual Leadership in Law Awards program, and we'll be releasing the full list of 2021 award winners. We're giving out our two longtime honors, the Distinguished Barrister and Up-and-Coming Lawyer Awards. But we've also added two new categories of recognition. Here's Indiana Lawyer Editor Olivia Covington with the details. We're excited to be honoring two new groups of legal professionals at this year's Leadership in Law Awards. First is our new Legal Support Stars category, which recognizes paralegals, legal assistants, and other support staffers who make the practice of law possible. We're honoring five women in our first class of Legal Support Stars, and while they may not be lawyers, I think we can all agree that they make huge contributions to the law. And then we have our new Lifetime Achievement Award, which is our most prestigious award yet. This honor recognizes a lawyer who has improved the practice of law in the community through their professionalism, mentorship, service, and civility. For our first Lifetime Achievement Award, we're actually giving out two awards, one to former Congresswoman Susan Brooks and one to Lacey Johnson, a partner at Taft Law. We're very excited to hear directly from Susan and Lacey at this year's awards program on November 9th. We'll publish the full list of award winners on our website, theindianalawyer.com, and in our printed paper on November 10th. And finally, some law firm news. Three Indianapolis-area firms announced new managing partners in recent weeks, which begs the question, is there a trend of turnover in law firm leadership? 
Is this the part of the great resignation we've heard so much about? Indiana Lawyer Senior Reporter Marilyn Odendahl will answer those questions in our next issue. Be sure to grab your copy of the November 10th Indiana Lawyer to learn more. All right, that's it for this week's headlines. If you want to know more about any of these stories or anything else going on in the Indiana legal community, head over to theindianalawyer.com, theindianalawyer.com. And now, here's our very first interview with three special guests. Keep listening to hear from Indiana Court of Appeals judges Derek Moulter, Elizabeth Tavitas, and Leanna Weissman. modern law firm. At Taft, we cultivate a highly respectful, transparent workplace that fosters creativity, teamwork, inclusion, and diversity. We couple our culture with a client-first approach, rewarding lawyers who understand their clients' goals and work to deliver success. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. With us at IBJ Media are the three newest appointees, the Indiana Court of Appeals. Judges Elizabeth Tavides, Leanna Weissman, and as of when this episode was taped, soon-to-be COA judge Derek Moulter. Judges, thanks for coming off the bench and joining us today. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Thank you. Yes. So we'll dive right in with a question for all three of you. Um, and we'll start with you, Judge Tavides, and we can just go around. What we want to talk about first is, you know, the Court of Appeals kind of undergoing a transition with a lot of older, long-serving judges moving off the bench, newer judges like yourselves coming in. So what does that transition mean for the future of the court, do you think? Well, I think change um, is always good for the future. Each person that finds themselves on the Court of Appeals brings a unique set of experiences and life experiences to the court, and we hope that the traditions of the court will continue on. However, we always look forward to having a new person join the ranks of the 15, and we look forward to getting to know Judge Moulter. Yes, yeah, certainly uh, the same the same sentiment uh, that I share, and, and I feel so blessed that we've got uh, so many great role mo- role models on the court um, who've done so such great work uh, over the years. And as Judge Tavides says, you know, it's on us to sort of uh, add our own kind of style and, and, and uh, make those similar contributions. And, and the, the uh, current context, um, you know, I think of you know our, all of our predecessors who are. Uh, very well respected for the great relationships they've had throughout the state with the judiciary and certainly something we all you know want to maintain and advance uh, ourselves but again uh, you know kind of adopting modern forms of communication you know uh, bringing uh, all the, the the current ideas to the forefront um, putting our own kind of spin on the job and what about you judge Weitzman? so I kind of look at at it like we have inherited a well-built well-maintained house so those that came before us did a really good job of building up the judiciary and putting us in a position where we have big shoes to follow or big shoes to fill, I guess. And I think as I go in, I just want to make sure that I'm the polite house guest that keeps maintaining the house in its current good shape because we're only passing through. There will be judges that are younger than us or maybe in kindergarten now that will succeed us. So I want to leave the house in good order. Judge Weissman and uh, Tavides, what advice that you can share, at least, uh, have you given Derek um, as, you know, he prepares for the judiciary? Yeah, we'll start with you, Judge Tavides. Well, I'm lucky to be one of his mentors, so I 
he knows that I will be mentoring him and he'll have two other mentors. However, my advice is the advice that I took when I started at the court was you you don't have just one mentor or three mentors. You have 14 other mentors. And each of us, as I indicated previously, brings a different set of experiences and wisdom to the court. And my advice to you is to tap into all of that experience and expertise and always know that the door is open for whatever you need on the court. We are so lucky to have a great group of 15 of us that like each other. Um, we like talking about our cases. We're open to changing our mind and keeping an open mind. And it's just a great place to work. And I hope that you'll like it as much as I have liked it. Well, I've certainly been grateful that everyone's already been opening their doors uh, and inviting, uh, inviting me to coffees and lunches. And uh, I've just been blown away by how gracious and hospitable uh, everyone in the court's been. Well, I've already showed you where the bathroom is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emergency yeah. chocolate stash. Yeah. These are the important things. Very important things. So other than that, just to tag on with my colleague, we all want you to succeed. You will succeed. But ask for help. We're all here to help you. We'll probably be knocking on your door for help as well. We're a very collegial group, very collaborative, and we are just excited to have you on board. All right, a two-part question for you, soon to be Judge Mulder. Yes. <laughs> um, in addition to your upcoming colleagues on the Court of Appeals, who else have you spoken with for advice, and what are you looking forward to most about this new role? You know, I've been blessed to be able to speak to just so many people. You know, I already knew that the court was a really collegial place. What I didn't... Um, you know, expect and it's been a great, um, again, blessing is just how um, how far people would go and going out of their way to try to give me advice, to, to welcome me into their chambers, um, you know, answer any questions, uh, just, you know, overall uh, make me feel comfortable. And that's really, you know, everybody on the Supreme Court, everybody on the Court of Appeals, uh, former judges, former justices, trial court judges, um, you know, our judiciary is just a really great group of people. Um, and I've just felt, um, you know, so welcomed uh, into that family. That's even included, you know, it's on my mind today. I've been uh, interviewing law clerks, you know, former judges, uh, Justice Sullivan in particular uh, has gone out of his way to, to really try to gin up interest among law students to, to apply for clerkships. And uh, it's been really helpful, um, you know, in that way. So that, that has been um, a wonderful way to start uh, getting, getting integrated uh, into the court. And I'm pausing now because I already forgot what the second question was. Uh, what, are you, what are you oh, looking, looking forward, forward to? to? Yeah. Well, related to that. Um, you know, a lot of things, but, but the two at the forefront of my mind are the opportunities for collaboration. That's always how I like to work and, and, and how I always have. And that collaboration in a variety of forms. I'm really excited to start, you know, wrestling with cases with uh, my colleagues, law clerks, you know, everyone in the office. Um, but also to get, you know, beyond just uh, deciding cases. And, and a lot of the work of the court goes, goes beyond that. I mean, and the Court of Appeals... Uh, is not just you know reviewing the work of trial courts. It really uh, is um, uh, provides a lot of different support on an institutional level, and, and is there to help uh, trial judges make sure that uh, or help them as they go about um, administering justice in their own jurisdictions. And I'm looking forward to getting to know more and more judges around the state, and really figuring out how I can help them uh, in that way too. Uh, it kind of goes without saying, but COVID-19 has presented some challenges uh, unlike anything we've really seen. Uh, Judge Tavinas, what do you feel like has been the most significant challenge for lawyers and judges during the pandemic? Well, for me, I believe it's just access to justice to those who need it. Um, having an, the constitutional right for a court to be open 
and getting access to the court. The courts have done a wonderful job and lawyers have done a wonderful job of transitioning to Zoom or um, WebEx type hearings. Um, but I think that that's what I, for the Court of Appeals judges, we are not the ones that are um, there in the open courts where people need access every single day. So we're the lucky ones that can sit in our chambers and we don't have to worry about access to the courts. We have e-filing, our documents are e-filed and all of our documents are up on our dashboard. So it's easy for us to access the cases that we need, but as I indicated, I worry about the people, especially those who cannot afford lawyers, whether or not they can navigate the system to get into court. Derek, what are some things that you feel like we've uh, learned about our legal system um, during this time? I guess both just uh, how important it is. I mean, we've really gone as a society through a lot of different stress tests uh, with our public institutions, and the court has certainly been at the forefront at every level uh, of that. And so again, it is a reminder of what an important institution the courts are um, in our democracy. It's also illustrated how flexible uh, the courts are. So even as a somewhat you know kind of you know, giant institution, there are all these moving parts that have found ways to continue, uh, you know, getting the courts still rowing in the same direction and, and providing uh, justice and, um, and administering justice. You know, the other aspect of this is I tend to be kind of a half glass full kind of guy. So there there have been a lot of challenges, but but uh, that brings a lot of opportunity as well. And so in having to develop these kind of new muscles, um, the courts are figuring out other ways to provide access to justice. So while it's a challenge in, in some contexts, it provides an opportunity in others. So, you know, part of access to justice can be expense. And some courts have really been forced to figure out more efficient ways to manage their dockets, to, to conduct hearings. I, you know, I remember over the years hearing at, at the appellate level, for example, some judges talk about how they wish there were more opportunities for remote arguments. I think on balance, we, we all probably prefer to have arguments in person. But there are times where it, it is a better idea you know, if someone's traveling a very far distance and the roads are unsafe, you know, during the winter in Indiana, you know, it, it probably is better to, to get on Zoom or, or do something like that. And that's something we weren't as comfortable with before, but I think we're all comfortable with it now, <laughs> you know, when we need to. So there's a lot we've learned, too, that, that is uh, uh, you know, just ripe for, for uh, grabbing lots of improvements. Jordan, I'm going to go a little off script before I ask our next question, sure. but Judge Weitzman, you know, you kind of made this transition during a pandemic, right? From being a, a practitioner to a judge. So, I mean, what was that like? I imagine it was a very unique experience. So, Olivia, it was very unique. I mean, <laughs> everybody was dealing with a unique situation, and I took the bench a year ago. And my colleagues were wonderful about making sure that they reached out and had Zoom meetings with me or called or emailed, even though typically they probably would have stopped in the office and asked if I needed anything. They, they were able to switch gears in a difficult time and make it work. Sure. Did you find that it was maybe a little more difficult to kind of build those relationships, what with social distancing and remote work and, and things like that? I, I don't know any difference. Sure. So, <laughs> that's a yeah. good question to answer, but I think probably so as much as everybody was having trouble with relationships during that time. But, you know, we did pivot to doing Zoom and we did pivot to 
emails and phone calls. So it was the best we could do under the circumstance. Would I have loved to have gone out to lunch with my colleagues early on? Yes, but I'm making up for it now. Sure. <laughs> and you pick up the tab every time, right? <laughs> so far. So yeah. far. <laughs> All right. Well, next up, I want to speak to both judges, um, Tavitas and Weissman, about, you know, just the, the, the job of being a judge and how, you know, I'm sure you have cases that pull on your heartstrings. I'm sure, you know, you have difficult decisions. Um, judge Tavitas, you did this even as a trial court judge before coming to the appellate bench. So we'll start with you. Have you ever, you know, lost sleep over a decision and just, you know, really struggled with the choice you had to make? Which year are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. I, um, I'd like to say, thankfully, that I will not make a decision when I was on the trial court bench or now on the Court of Appeals issuing an opinion until I am certain that I have done everything that I can to think about and review and research to make sure that I'm comfortable with that decision. But yes, I, and I, I will say that being a lawyer, I, I lost a lot of sleep as well. So I don't think it really changes depending mm -hmm. upon whether you're a practicing lawyer or a trial court judge or an appellate judge. There are always those cases that tug at you. Sure. How about you, Judge Weitzman? I, I think the real truth is what my colleague, uh, Judge Tavides, has said. I don't think people are attracted to the practice of law that aren't caring about their fellow man. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we come into people's lives in their worst possible moments for the most part, and they look at us to make it a little bit better. So sure. it, it's just part of the job that you're going to lose sleep over it. I think we are in a particularly good position at the appellate court level because we have 300, and I believe 18, if my math is wrong, no angry letters, but trial court <laughs> judges in the trenches that are spending a lot of time in these cases. They're meeting litigants face-to-face, -face and they're doing a great job. So it makes our job a little bit easier, and it makes it a little bit easier to sleep at night knowing that the clients, the litigants, had their day in court before they got to our court. Sure, and you know, Judge Moulter, unlike Judge Tavides, you're not coming at this already having experience on the bench. You're like Judge Weitzman as a, a practitioner. Is that an intimidating transition to you, you know, to think I'm the one who makes the decisions now? Yes, it's, it's both intimidating and exciting. Sure. Um, you know, there's so much responsibility that comes with that. Uh, that's the uh, intimidating part. Um, it is exciting because that's frankly why I was drawn to the job. Um, I like the idea of, um, you know, being a, an important part of bringing a case to resolution and you're looking at it from the perspective of, you know, what do I think is the right legal outcome uh, in this matter? So th that's, to me, uh, that's the draw. Sure. And with that, we'll wrap up our first episode. Once again, thank you to our guests, uh, Judges Tavides, Wiseman, and Moulter, for joining us today. All of our podcasts are available at theindianalawyer.com and are on your favorite streaming services. Until next time, this is Olivia Covington and Jordan Morey reporting from the Circle City.